2 says, my soul finds rest. My soul finds rest in God alone. I, I wait on God because he's my salvation. He's the one who provides me with safety and structure and support. He alone's my rock. He's my fortress. And because of that, I will not be shaken. Because of that, I will not be shaken. And we've been going through a series of things during Christmas, talking about, you know, how can we respond to Christmas with giving as, as Christ responded to us, as God responded to us in sending his son. And within that, we talked about Isaiah 9, 6, and it presented to us a clear picture of who Jesus was, the one who was wonderful, always fresh and exciting, and there's no boredom. It's wonderful. And he's the counselor who listens, but also encourages and guides and directs. And as a result of that, we find ourselves experiencing this abundant life as we were meant to have it, as opposed to getting involved in a variety of other things that were bringing us down and tearing us apart, bringing destruction into our life rather than instruction. Almighty God. And that is the, the power to live out life. So if the counselor gives us direction and what we need to do and how we need to do it, then Almighty God gives us the power and the ability uh, to bring it about. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel is God with us. I, I asked Charles Spurgeon if he'd give me a little help on this one. Let's watch this clip. 1800s, we understood that it was God with us that makes the difference in all of life. God with us. God is with you. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God is with you. It's so encouraging to know that God is with us because that enables us to deal with the difficulties and the struggles and the anxieties of life. It empowers us to work through each and every struggle that we find ourselves in the midst of Knowing that we can do it, it can be accomplished, there will be an end, and it will be victory. Because he is trustworthy, and he has this wonderful ability to hold us secure. Because God is with us, we are enabled to deal with the emotions and the struggles of life, the sense of shame, and the sense of lack of ability. God is with us. And that provides us with awareness that he loves us so deeply that he enables us to love others. And that is the the wondrous directive of Christmas. It's the wonderful cry of Christmas reminding us over and over and over and over again that God is with us, providing us with all the presence that we truly need. Presence of hope and of joy presence of faith, presence of peace, all the invisible presence that make the visible presence worthwhile. God is with us. Jude puts it this way 
and his wonderful declaration. He only has one chapter, his entire book. He says to him, who is able to keep us from falling? The one who is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault. In fact, able to present you before his presence with great joy. Ah, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Why, can you imagine writing all that down? (laughs) The words just begin to flow as God lays out the truth for him to give to us even though it was some 2,000 years ago when he wrote it down. He is able to keep us from falling. He's so powerful that he can keep us stable in all the turbulence of life. He's the seatbelt, you might say, that we desperately need when we find ourselves getting shook up and torn back and forth. In the midst of that turbulence and that struggle, God holds us tightly and won't let us go until the storm resides. God with us. See, that's the glorious declaration, not just of Christmas, but of the day after Christmas and the week after Christmas. He holds us up when we're about to fall, to stumble. Because of his stability, he makes us stable. God is with us. We may be weak, but it's in that point in time that he shows himself more than strong enough. It's in that point in time which he shows himself to us and we recognize our inability and his ability. God is with us. A famous tightrope walker, the Walenkas, his wife, talked about the fact that he only fell one time and he fell to his death. And she said before he got up on that tightrope to walk it, he had lost his confidence. Before he even began, he didn't feel that he was able to be stable enough to walk down. Where before, he never had any thought or concern about it. Have any of you ever walked on a two-by-four, laid one out just to walk on it? It's really easy unless you have to do it with some results other than just slipping off to the side. So lift it up on the side of two chairs and then step up on it. And you'll find yourself unable to walk even a foot before you fall off. And the picture that Jude is trying to give us of God is he is saying, when you're in the midst of your walking on the two-by-fours of life, and you find yourself looking down and going, it's done. God grabs us and says, don't worry, I've got you. Don't be concerned, I will keep you from falling. I will stop you from stumbling. Because when you are weak, then I can be strong. I can show you how to deal with the issues of life. Or as a wonderful song, lean on me when you're weak. When you find yourself not knowing what to do or how to do it, lean on me and I'll be your friend. I'll be the one that keeps you strong. And that's the cry of God. He says, lean on me in those times and I will enable you to stand firm, to not fall. 
Paul says in Romans when he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? It's to his own master that he stands or he falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. And if I'm reading that section, I circle that make him stand. Because it removes from me the sense that I will somehow force myself to do the right thing in the right way at the right time. And thereby say, boy, I'm good. As opposed to saying, God is good. All the time. All the time. There you go. See, some of you got it. And that's the cry. We find ourselves going, boy, Lord, you consistently and regularly not only keep me from stumbling, but you help me to stand up. Uh, My early life verse... I memorized it off the beginning, and it's still my favorite verse of the day. is out of Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord uh, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths, or He will make your paths straight, straighten out the roads. As we trust in Him, He enables us to stand in the struggles of life. That's the cry of God because he will help us to overcome our fear with faith in him in the midst of our struggles of life itself. God with us. Say that with me. God with us. And that's what you're going to leave today with. When you walk out today, the only three words you need to remember... Not the three points, not the breakdown, just three simple words, God with us. And that wondrous truth changes everything. It changes everything. Because then in the midst of those times, I begin to wonder and question, pops back in my head and says, God is with you. God is with you. And because he is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is more than powerful enough to keep me stable. See, that's the first thing we have to grab a hold of. God is more than powerful enough to keep me stable. But not only that, God's more than trustworthy enough to keep me secure. And what I mean by that is that God is the one I can trust to always be there and always handle, watch my back always watches my back. God is always nearby in those times when I desperately need somebody to catch me. He's watching my back. He's a friend who is far more than normal friends. Paul says, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. He's able to keep I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed. Both my emotions and my mind are caught up in a recognition of not only who God is, but whom I have given everything to. That I believe that God has given me a purpose, a plan, an intention in life. And that as I've given him my life, he's given back to me clarification of that purpose and that plan and that intention. And because I know whom I have believed... And I know that he is able. 
I can trust in him to guide me down the path. And the times when I find myself in darkness and thinking I've lost my way, and God says, no, 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 Lee, it isn't you lost your way. You're just going through a period of time. It's got to be dark. But we're going to be on the other side soon. You're still going the right way. And I trust him in that, and I keep walking, and I walk, and suddenly it opens up. <sighs> I, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Once again, God is with me. God is with us. God is trustworthy. He will guard. Not us. He will guard. He's trustworthy, so I don't have to worry. Paul says it this way later. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was hidden for long ages past, he is able to establish us, to accomplish the purpose, the mission, the foundation, the intention in our lives. Remember early on, I was a a young Bible college student. I'd gotten out of the service. God had called me into ministry, which I struggled with valiantly. Not only did I recognize that I was not worthy of that calling, but I also felt I was totally unable to fulfill that calling. And I struggled with him heavily the first year or so, and then I began to accept the fact that God had a mission, a purpose, and intention for my life. And step by step by step, he began to carry me through it. And it was beginning times, a little youth ministry in a little church called Petaluma Christian Church. And working through the difficulties there, working with youth and trying to figure out what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to do it. And the church being gracious enough to take me on. Oh, ah, there we go. At a time when I thought, oh my goodness, um, I'm really good, and they thought, boy, he's really bad. (laughs) And I found out they were right and I was wrong. Interesting process. I still remember I was so involved in discipling, working through these guys. And after I left, uh, a young man that went there who was a far better pastor than I was, you know, said, hey, we were just looking over your notes about um, uh, Red here. And I said, my notes? And he said, yeah, well, you were talking about him. You were sharing how you were hoping they'd begin to grow and develop. And he's kind of chuckling because he thought the same thing about you. I went, he's reading my notes? And they said, yeah. I went, oh, great. I feel really good about that. And then God began to move me from there into different situations and struggles and move me into associate ministry, um, uh, church situation, which we grew incredibly rapidly. We went, literally, we were a couple hundred people uh, every six, eight months were coming in and just overwhelmed with all these people and trying to put them into places and structures. I remember we had an Awana program that I was running that was some uh, almost 250 kids and just the Awana structure alone in the one age group that we were working with. And uh, it was incredible stuff. And I was going, okay, Lord, what do you want to do here? This is, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? And then from there to another ministry and then off to South Dakota, the exact opposite situation, which a church that was getting ready to die. And so they had to have somebody, so they asked me if I would come. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it was. Nobody else was willing. And uh, I wasn't either. I got to be truthful with you. I was, Mary and I were on the plane. We were flying back, and I said, I'm sure glad I don't have to go there. And uh, we were going, okay, so we'll set everything up in such a way that we'll make sure that we don't receive God's call. Okay, this is a little church of about 100 people that had never in its history had ever voted for anybody 
in a you know, 100% category. So we said, first of all, in order for you to call me, it must be 100% vote. There cannot be one no vote. When I came here, by the way, there were a lot of no votes. Right? So I said, no, no votes. My wife and I said, okay. She said, okay, that's good. That should take care of it. I said, oh, that's not enough. No, no, no. I said, okay, in terms of the dollar figures, they must pay this amount of dollars because I knew there was no way they were going to offer me the amount of dollars that was, it wasn't very much, but it's, it was a lot to them. I was going, okay, that's that. And we got done and we said, okay, we feel good about this, Lord. Well, no, if you answer this, it's your calling and that's not going to happen. So thank you so much that you're going to let me. I'm, I was in, I'm going to Northern California to start a new church and be involved in planting. I had it all set up. It was all structured that way. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm made for. This is going to be great. I'm so excited about that whole thing. And um, two weeks later, I got the call from the church over there. I'd been gone for a week. I did that too. Yeah, we left for a week so they couldn't get a hold of us. Cell phones weren't around then, folks, <laughs> except for very, very rich people. So I got back, got back to the church, and they called, and I said, hey, how you doing? He said, oh, good, good. He said, when we, we are asking you to come to the church. We did the call, and then we took the vote, and I said, oh, that's great. I said, I appreciate that so much. What was the vote? Thinking, just say 99 out of 100 people. And he said, Lee, this is the most incredible thing. <laughs> and I thought, no. He said, never in our history have we ever voted 100% to have a pastor come. And I was quiet. And I said, and? And he said, 100%. No, no votes. I said, because I thought I was slick. How many times did you vote? Because, see, that's the trick at churches. Is that first time you vote, you get a couple no votes. You say, look, we're going to call him anyway. We want to give him 100% vote. So... We're going to do it again. He said, we voted one time. I went, oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Okay. He said, well, I'm going to send you the package. I have all the numbers and the figures on it. I said, okay, great. I thought, I'm not going to say anything. There's no way that it's going to come in at the dollar figures. So three days later, the the letter comes in. We open it up, my my wife and I. Ooh, almost lost that thing. And uh, opened it up and looked at the figure and it was exactly the number that we told God we had to have. And I went, oh, no. It was a faith moment. Lee, do you have enough faith to go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota? And then the question came in my mind. This is Claire's day, and this is the question. Lee, whose are yours? Who are you? Are you mine? Have you yielded your life to me, truthfully? Will you go wherever I tell you to go? Because many times I said, go wherever the Lord tells you to go. And I remember responding to him right then and saying, but Lord, South Dakota? And my wife, being the wonderful woman that she said, that she has said, honey, we're going to South Dakota. I said, yeah. This is what's interesting. So after I got there, Rod Fluth was one of the guys, he was one of the trustees of the church. And he talked to me, and he said, yeah, Lee, said, I've never told you something. He said, he said you know, we offered the, the figure there, and I think it was 36000 was the was the dollar figure, and that included everything. And he said, you got that figure back there? I said, oh, yeah. I said, that was, so it was funny, Rod was said, I work, if it had been 35, we wouldn't have come, because we'd laid the thing before the Lord had to be 36. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, I'm, I actually gave him an extra 1,000 to make sure they gave 36. I said, what? He said, yeah, I changed the figure. 
What do you mean you changed the figure? He said, because I knew you weren't going to go. <laughs> I said, you dirty rat. God works in mysterious ways, isn't he? God works in wondrous ways. You see, when we are God's, he calls us and he directs us. And his only question is, are you willing to follow me? God's not concerned about our circumstances. Whatever they are, no matter how difficult they are, he's only concerned about our response to our circumstances. Our response to our circumstances. See, he's trustworthy. He'll keep us secure. He's powerful. He'll keep us stable. But he always asks us, Lee, do you want me to be with you? Because in order for me to be with you, you have to be with me. And I'm in charge. Hard decisions sometimes. Hard decisions. But the last thing that I found out about God when I talk about his power and his might and his wonders, not only is he this glorious God who is all-powerful, not only is he always trustworthy and will always take care of us as long as we're willing to yield, make the choices that he calls us to make, stay within his will. Last of all, God, no matter what, even if we make the wrong choices and do all the wrong things, he's always loving. And he always gives us the ability to love others. Paul says in Ephesians, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, your soul, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted, established, grounded in love, will have power together with all the other saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, when it comes to love, God desires desperately to keep us grounded. And it's when he grounds us that we are able to love one another. Have you ever noticed that people are hard to love? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say this. You're hard to love. (laughs) Go ahead, I dare you. They go, oh, I don't want to tell the truth. No. You know why? Because then they turn back to you and they say, I know, and so are you. And you know something, though? You are able. But here's the key, and this is the wonder of God working in us. He enables us to love them, and he enables them to love us back. My wife and I are getting ready to celebrate our 35th year of marriage. Yeah, woo. Next week. So we're going, wow. And some people say, well, Lee, it was easy for you. Hold it, what? Huh? And I know what they mean by that. Because some people are easier to love than others. But the reality is, we're all hard to love. But God enables us to love, and it is the very power of God 
the one who is love, that gives us the ability to love one another. Because I can tell you something, you are unable to love anybody without God's love flowing through you. You're unable. You can't do it. I can't do it. But when God comes in and changes, we find ourselves not only able to do it, we find ourselves unable not to do it. That's why John says, those who know God and recognize who He is, recognize that He is love, and you choose to love one another. You have no choice. You will have the power, the power to love. Because once you are grounded, and that's God's desire to have us grounded in Him, then we find ourselves, because of that grounding, experiencing love flowing through our lives like electricity. It flows through us to the next one and continues on and on and on. We become a conduit of God, a conduit of love, because we're unable not to as long as we are grounded. God is with us. God is with us. And as we're grounded, we find ourselves loving, but if you aren't grounded, you'll have a hard time doing that. You'll have a hard time loving. And when you find yourself having a difficult time loving, instead of looking at the person that you're having a hard time loving, you need to take a look and see if you're plugged in. Because that's really the problem. And if you'll do that quickly and early, you'll find God's love beginning to flow back through you again, and you will take care of the problem that has developed because you were not responding in love as God has called you to. And some of you say, well, well, Pastor Lee, what's love? Memorize 1 Corinthians 13. It's the first thing you've got to do. Every Bible college student, the first thing they make you do, memorize 1 Corinthians 13 so you won't hate your professor. I think that's the intention. Okay? Memorize the whole thing so you find yourself going, okay, it's ringing a bell, it's clanging, all this other stuff. If I don't have love, I am nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. So I go, whoa, just a minute. That's love. This is what love is. It flows through you. Recognize it, God's presence with us. Paul was having a hard time with an issue in his life. Second Corinthians 12, 70 says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these incredibly surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said this, my grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in and on me. And that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Because when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. And it's so hard, folks. It's easy to talk about. But when the time comes and God says, I want to be strong in your life, and the only way I can be strong is for you to recognize your weakness. And that's the cry of God. He says, not only am I powerful and trustworthy, but I want desperately to teach you how to be loving because I love you so much.
And I want you to experience that love. When I am weak, then I am strong. Say that with me. When I am weak, then I am strong. God with us. God with us. When I talk about this strengthening love, there's four areas of this weakening aspect. Believing that God exists and rewards us is faith aspect in which love begins to pour through our lives. I found that the first thing that happens when difficulties come my way is I want to escape. I don't know about you, but I just want to get out of here. I just want to leave. I don't want to deal with it. I want it to go away. And maybe if I go in my room for a minute and come back out, it'll be gone. Sometimes that happens with my son. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that happens with my wife. Sometimes it doesn't. Escape. I just, how do I get rid of this problem? I want to run away. I start to panic. I just can't do this. And God says, responsibly is the key, not the circumstance, not the problem. What's your response? Are you going to allow me to be strong in this and show you how strong you can be as I, through you, accomplish this particular area? My grace is sufficient. Remember my strength? When you are weak, you can't, but I can. God says, I can. I weigh about 165 pounds, and I found that I can lift certain objects fairly well and others not at all. But I found if I bring Eric and I get Egypt next to me, I'm amazing when I can lift. (laughs) People say, why do you get two big guys next to you, make you look small? I said, yeah, but I'm sure I'm strong when they're around. And that is the picture of God. He's saying, you can't do that, but I can. Watch me. Let me. When I am weak, then he is strong. And so escape is my first response that I have to go, no, 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 don't run away. And the second one is, well, I'll endure it. I'll endure it. I'll stay put, but I'm not feeling really good about it. I'll do my daily prayers. I'll study. I'll give. I'll serve. I'm not feeling really great about this. Doing kind of an Ephesians 3.20 to him who will do beyond anything we can ask or even think. And it begins to stretch us in this time, this endurance time. And we become like rubber bands. I often say that Christians are like rubber bands. Rubber band's not any good until it's what? Stretched. It accomplishes its purpose. And when it's stretched, we go, ah, then we're able to accomplish the purpose that God has set for us. He said, first, I've got to stretch you. So it takes endurance, and we wait upon the Lord. I will wait on God. My soul waits on God because he is my salvation. And then we move to kind of this enjoyment period. I start to endure, and then suddenly I start to get used, and I see, I go, whoa, this is kind of cool. I begin to see how my weakness declares God's strength. He works when I work out. That's the way I like to put it. Interestingly, faith muscles begin to grow as I work out, as I endure, as I study, as I pray, as I serve, as I minister, as I get involved. And these little endorphins start to kick up a bit. We start doing the you know, little thing we were doing this morning. We praise you, God. Da, 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 da. We find ourselves dancing and singing, and you think, 
I'm glad I'm in the front because I look really foolish to most people. <laughs> I'm all, I always do on the front here. I wonder, what's, what are people thinking about the pastor going back and forth and doing all this stuff? Well, we're having fun. I'm, get, I'm, I'm encouraging the band. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to encourage them. I'm having a lot of fun doing it, too. <laughs> I really am. It's like, yeah. And so we're caught up in this process of praise and thanks, enjoying who God is and what He's done. I'm not thinking. I'm just enjoying. Boy, look what God has done. And then we move to enlightenment. That's the next thing that happens. That's a, the epiphany time where everything clicks. I get it. Those of you who are math people, you understand. You have to understand certain aspects of basic math before you can move to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. And you become like John over here. You know, he's the engineer who lays out these things. And I go, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, John. How does this work? It's a level of math that's so far beyond anything I can comprehend. And he looks at me like, Lee, you just have to learn all the basics first. You have to endure You work through it, and then you get this epiphany. You know why this works and how it works and all comes together. You understand the physics. You understand why you need to be able to put all these things together and the way you got to put them together. And that's that epiphany time. If you're in computer games, you move to the next level. After you've worked this level and you got to figure it out, you move to the next one. If you're into golf, there's certain things you have to learn before you can move to the next step. There's an epiphany. And you don't think about it anymore. That's just what you do. People look at you and go, wow, how'd you learn to do that? And you're thinking, I'm playing terrible today. Not to them, because you're at a different level. Whether it be sports, whether it be reading, whether it be math, whatever area it is that God wants to bring us up and enlighten us in. He says, I've done these things so that you might comfort others in 2 Corinthians 1. I've comforted you so you might comfort others. I've enlightened you so you might enlighten others. And now you're called to mentor them concerning the truth that they will discover and find about. That you will teach them that when the storm comes and God appears to be asleep in the bottom of the boat and you're scared to death and you go and shake him up and say, Jesus, wake up. And he says, what are you bugging me for? Don't you know there's a storm? He says, oh, you have little faith. And he gets up and he says, stop. And the storm stops. He says, no, I'm going back to my nap. I'll talk to you later. And the picture is one of, folks, in order for the boat to get swamped, they've got to swamp Jesus too. When God is with you, you have to take him down, not just you. And so I begin to say, no, God is with me. Therefore, I wait quietly before God for my salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, while I will never be shaken. Hey, Clint, I want you to come up here for a minute. He said, I thought he was going to leave me alone. Yeah, I was hoping. But you see, yeah, we, we try to get a little more personal, a little more specific here. Clint had a tough, tough year here this year. We had a great year, but a tough year, huh? Kind of interesting thing. And yeah, and so coming up here recently, you lost a job. That you, how long were you working at that job? 13 years. 13 years, and then suddenly you found yourself... Unemployed. Unemployed. <laughs> Said, what am I going to do? So what would you do? Uh, called my father-in-law. Okay. So I need a little direction here. And uh, he said, okay, let's go to lunch. It's wonderful. So we go to lunch. And... Uh, 
It's like you're just do everything you're supposed to do. Do the whole unemployment thing, get that all taken care of out of the way right now. Um, and then you're going to go home, you're going to wait for Emily to come home. And that's when the fun's going to happen. And uh, I said, all right, well, what do I do then? He's like, good luck. <laughs> I said, okay. Ooh. So, but I was like, well, I got home and it was like, you're home early. What's up? Oh, they let me go home early today. Well, what'd you do today? <laughs> I was uh-huh. like, well, I filed for unemployment. I filed for this. I did that. I uh, looked on this website for jobs. I did this and this and that. And she's like, what? Wait a minute. Yeah, I lost my job today. And then, you know, it yeah. is what it is. So, so uh, she got emotional like she generally does over stuff like that, which is fine. That's her job, not mine. And, um, you know, but all the whole time, like there was no worry. There was no nothing. The whole time she was apologetic. She didn't care that I lost my job. She was probably grateful because I was a jerk when I came home from work most days. Didn't really like that job, huh? I loved the job. I loved oh. the people I worked with. I never had a bad day. I didn't know I was so white-knuckled, stressed, and just... Ah. And, uh, yeah, but I was. Loved the job. Loved the people I worked with. Loved the customers that I helped out. Um, and, uh, but it was clearly time to move on. And that's okay. Yeah. It you didn't really want to move on, but God made you move on. I didn't want to move on. I wasn't yeah. planning on moving on. I know that feeling. It goes back a little further. A little, like, from now, about two and a half years ago, I was working at our Chevy store. And I came here for a, uh, we were doing, like, a parent thing or whatever, some, I don't remember, spiritual parenting, or Emily paid attention. Um, <laughs> I figure if she knows, we're good. And so I came, and I just, I'm one of those guys, I don't like people. I sit in the back, I kind of sit out of the way, and then uh, Terry Moran comes up to me, and he goes, dude, what's the matter? Nothing, man. Life's great. No, something's bugging it. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, something's wrong. No, I don't think so. He goes, Clint, you need to change something drastically in your life before you kill yourself, before you kill somebody else. Hmm. Fair enough. So I get home. I say, honey, Terry said this. She goes, yeah, you need a new job. Oh, okay. So I put my two weeks in at Chevy, and I went to work for our Nissan store, which I've had an open invite there forever but it never never panned out loved what I did loved who I worked with loved who I worked for never panned out so we searched I'm trying to see what you want me to say keep going so (laughs) what happened next so I I look I look for work Um, graciously uh, Glenn and John always need help and so Glenn's like come on I got work for you and um, which is a bell ringing experience, um, a ton of fun getting behind the camera, and uh, just just a hoot to do. And so I did a bunch of that. I did a bunch of side work for my father-in-law, and just working at the house, and then working for his company and stuff, and just little stuff. And uh, interviews, 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 interviews. Job interviews suck. Yes. Just because you got to put a suit on. That too. That's, and um, sometimes a tie. And a tie. Yeah. It's garbage. Sorry about that. Yeah. It was a horrible experience. Yeah. So then I interviewed at my current company, Dealer Socket, and yeah. it is a wonderful company. Uh-huh. And I will say, it is owned and operated mainly by Mormons. Uh-huh. 
their level of how they take care of people is like just it's huge and the way they care for their employees and the way they care for people I go we need to step it up bingo good job and because this company is thriving this company in in the lowest of recessions was growing by a minimum of 40% every year. Wow. There was never a blip in the graph. It was always straight on up. That's and great. wonderful company. Interview went great. Um, Entry-level position. There you go. And, um, but I just, I'm like, you know what? It's a job. It's more than what unemployment's going to pay. I've got a friend that works there. Everybody's really friendly. Let's go to work. What do you think, honey? Rock and roll. Um, so I start this entry-level position. I start in a, a training. So there's like 10 weeks of training, and I'm just, my mind is bending and contorting and just oozing stuff out of it at the end of the day, and it was wonderful. And um, then I got certified in, quote-unquote, certified for my entry-level position. And um, went to work and did really well, excelled. Um, and then they're like, hey, we want to give you this position. And I'm like, I've only been here for three months. I'm not due for promotion for a year. Well, you're way overqualified for what you do. You're doing such a great job. We want to move you on. It's, it's not, you're not applying for a position. We're offering you a position. So we want you to go here if you want to. Wonderful. Let's rock and roll. So that was October, and now I'm in this wonderful new position. I got a, a raise. I'm still not doing what I was doing at the dealership, but that's okay. My stress level is like here until I get home, and then I got a three-year-old, and it's way up here. Ah. And yeah, in between time, they had a baby. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful, too. Yeah, hey, you're laid off. By the way, boss, I've got a you know, wife that's pregnant and, and a young kid and stuff. It was, it was You got stretched, buddy. I got stretched. I started got, working out. Yeah. And uh, God began to do some great things. It's all Emily. Yeah. Emily did it all. Emily so helped you out a bunch. There is no doubt in my mind. It's a nice Without to have. Without her and then there's a couple of key friends that really like. Kept it going. Kept it going. going. Kept so it going. Good needed stuff. Needed groceries right? some months and, yeah. you know, but it was all good. Isn't it amazing? It's wonderful. So I guess you, you figured out God with us, right? Something like that. Yes, thanks, buddy. <laughs> bless, thanks for sharing. Yep. God is trustworthy, and he's loving, and he's powerful, and he desperately wants us to understand that in the turbulence of life, he can provide us with stability. In the anxiety of life's emotions... He can enable us to be secure. And in the confusion of life results. And boy, it can be confusing. God, why is this happening to me? He can enable us to love and to experience his love flowing in and through our lives. So this year, we encourage you to do something. There's a little thing at the bottom of your outline and it says, This year, I'm going to ask and seek God's will. I'm going to ask and seek God's will. And this week, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God for a plan for 2014. And then I'm going to set aside time 
to prioritize my goals for 2014. I do this every year. My wife and I head off, we do our anniversary thing, and we sit down and we say, what do we conclude that God desires to do in us this year and how do we think he wants to do it? I encourage you, you need to do that. Sit down before God, the God who is all-powerful, who is trustworthy, who wants to enable you to love one another because we live in an era where very, very few people are able to love each other for more than five or ten years. Okay? And then they give it up. And the reason is because you're not plugged in. It is not that your other partner is so wonderful. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're wonderful. Isn't that great? Didn't that make you feel good? It's not true, but... Sometimes you are. Sometimes you are. But the reality is this. Yeah, you are always. I know, Darlene. (laughs) The reality is this. God will enable you to love. And He will keep you secure. And He will provide you with the necessary power that you need to have stability in your life. But if you depend on anything and anyone else, even Emily, you will fail. And you will fall. This year, I encourage you, lay out your goals and plans and say, Lord, show me. Show me if these are your goals and plans for me. Father, we thank you for this chance we have to recognize your power in our lives and depend upon you to keep us stable. We trust you. Lord, it's in you alone that we wait Because you are our salvation. You're our fortress. You're our rock. You are the one who keeps us stable in the turbulence of life. And you are the one who enables us to love at the times in life in which we find ourselves only desiring to strike out in fear and in hate. Father, grant us your love this day. Guide us this year. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take an offering.